Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. What's up? It's your boy DJ Snatch Patch, and welcome to episode 182 of the Real Me In Colon A Movie Podcast. On this week's episode, Joel and I will take out the week that was in movie news and movie trailers and review three fi- three films. What the fuck? Who proved this shit? We will be reviewing three films, one of which is uh, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Joel will take over that one. I will be reviewing Snatched, God help us all, and Joel will cap it off by reviewing The Wall. Uh, What will we think about uh, all three of these? Well, you're just going to have to sit down, relax, and find out. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. Uh, oh shit! Well, fuck. I don't. I don't know if I. I don't know if I can do it this week. Uh, Joel, Joel, something has happened. I, I think. I think you have snatched this episode. Did you see what I did there? Joel will be taking over uh, uh, right now. Uh, and the reason why I want to do this is because, first of all, uh, he's got to practice that, and second of all. Uh, he will most likely be doing a show next week by himself, and so I wanted to see how Joel uh, would do. So uh, I'm gonna go ahead and take a, a back seat in this episode and just kind of uh, go on Joel's command. So uh, uh, all of our beautiful listeners out there, Joel, the floor is yours. Hey there, everybody. This is episode 182 of Real Me In: Colon, a movie podcast, which you probably didn't ask for, but we're gonna give it to you anyway. Uh, I'm your co-host, Joel Copeland, that is Chase Lee, and we are going to, uh, welcome to the show if you're new to it, by the way, uh, usually what we do is we talk about the, uh, the news that's dropped in the week, about movies, trailers, uh, and then joint reviews of uh, the big release of the weekend. This weekend's a bit different, as you probably heard in the intro, uh, I'm going to be reviewing two movies on my own, and Chase will be reviewing his own movie. That's just how it worked out. We didn't see any of the same ones. Uh, and then there won't be any box office results. I might in, I might institute that in some way into the reviews, but uh, no proper box office results. Um, so, Chase, how are you doing today? Oh, you know, just uh, another shit week. Um, so uh, I, I don't like to lie to you guys. Um, I, I like to... Um basically be honest with you because you guys are the best fucking listeners on the face of the planet let's get that straight so if anyone tells you otherwise well you can tell them i said so but yeah it's it's, you know it's it's been a a pretty bad week but my favorite parts just about living in general is actually doing this shit for you guys and of course you know my wonderful girlfriend but uh yeah so there's a couple things in life joel that uh um tickle my fancy so to speak and this is one of them uh but uh how are you doing sir I'm doing pretty well. It's been a it's been a similarly uh, eventful week. Uh, some some in good ways, some in bad ways. Uh, but yeah, I mean it's every day's a ride for sure. This is this is the highlight of my week. Um, uh, I I just got a new job this week, so that that actually might be my highlight of the week. But 
<laughs> so Joel, Joel's like, well, my, my job is, is cool. Is Fuck the show. Time. Take a backseat show. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we got some news uh, and some trailers that dropped. It's kind of a it's kind of a slow-ish week. Not as slow as last week was, um, which was very, very slow. But uh, we do have some, some superhero news uh, that we're going to sort of book in the news segment with. And I'm going to throw it over to Chase with the first bit. Chase, take it away. All right. So, you know, I'm a huge fan of that wonderful Mexican Peter Jackson, uh, Guillermo del Toro. And uh, I really do appreciate the um, uh, the visual aesthetic that this man brings to film and TV shows. The guy is a wonderment. He, he, he's just a... a a little a little ball of knowledge and you know when you when you sit down and, like listen to interviews and stuff like he just seems like a really creative dude right and so one of the films that he's most popular for is uh the hellboy franchise and uh i myself i wouldn't really put them up as like my favorite like comic book adaptation graphic novel adaptations out there however what makes or breaks the franchise is actually hellboy himself ron per- perlman is fantastic um, he brings like that charisma, that the douchebagness, uh, the hero um, kind of essence. Like he's got it all. He's got a great personality and stuff. So you're probably thinking to yourself, "Oh my fucking god, is there a Hellboy three? <laughs> no, actually, they're gonna be they're gonna reboot the whole thing, make it radar, and make it uh, with a different uh, cast member. So uh, sorry to get your hopes up. Um, so the <laughs> news is that Hellboy is gonna be uh, revamped. It's going to be come an r-rated picture because hey that's what the kids are doing nowadays and hellboy is actually going to be played by uh david harbour from uh stranger things if you guys remember him he is the sheriff on the show um uh his other works i forgot sorry um but anyways he's most popular from stranger things kind of like you know of today so but yeah this is an interesting piece of news now like i said i'm not the biggest fan of hellboy but i've kind of looked at the comic books and kind of like skimmed through them a little bit like when i'm like in a comic book shop or whatever uh yes i do do that I, i'm not just making this shit up to impress you guys uh, every time when i go to half price books uh um you will see me either in the movie section or the comic book section uh anyways hellboy is a really kind of just this awesome like looking world of like a, you know different creatures and it just it, it looks so vibrant and beautiful and just very creative, and that's what kind of Guillermo del Toro kind of brought to it. So, making it R rated and making it kind of like this violent thing, which you know it is dealing with like pretty uh, demonic creatures, so you know it makes sense to me. But uh, David Harbour as Hellboy, I'm okay with it. Um, like I said, I think this is an this is the piece type of like news to where you hear about it and you go. That that's really great and all, but I need to see some footage. I need to see like what it's gonna look like, how dark and gritty they're gonna go. I need to see David Harbour in action. I need to see how he looks in the makeup. I need to see all of that before I can kind of judge upon it. But as far as like a, you know, news that has just dropped on my desk and it's just like here you go, I'm curious. Um, so yeah, Joel, are you a huge fan of the Hellboy uh, movies that Del Toro has made, and do you think? losing him and Ron Perlman will be kind of a detriment to the franchise going forward. And keep in mind, uh, guys, the the writer of this new Hellboy franchise is the actual creator himself from the comic books. I realize they're different mediums, but he is the creative head 
kind of going forward with it, which does give me some hope. So, uh, Joel, what is your take on this? You know, I I can't tell. I, it's it's interesting because I like David Harbour. Uh, he is great on Stranger Things. He also has a, uh, a supporting role, or had, I should say, a supporting role on the newsroom. He was the head anchor of the show that followed Jeff Daniels' show in that, um, and he was really good. Um, and Neil Marshall, the the director who's going to be in charge of the franchise, did The Descent back in uh, 2006, which is that really yes. freaky horror movie about the cave, the people in the cave. Um, so it's got you know it's got promising people behind it, and as you said, you know the creator of the uh, of the characters uh, is going to be the the show the showrunner, if you will, uh, of that. But man, I love del toro's movies i i was a big fan of the first one but it's that second one man i i just i think that they're awesome i'm a big fan of del toro's visual uh aplomb um to sound really pretentious um and so i think that honestly they need to somehow incorporate um not in a derivative way but somehow incorporate the del toro feel because i think he's so perfect for that character uh, and you're right about Ron Perlman. I love that guy. He's one of my favorites, and he was great as Hellboy. That's where I was intro- introduced to him, actually. I, I really saw the first movie back in '04. I hadn't seen him in anything else, and since then, you know, I've seen him in other things. But I mean, he's just he's great in his two runs as Hellboy. I really wish that they would have done a third one because I think that it was supposed to be the last, and I really would have wanted them to do you know have that last. Uh, that last go as the character, um, but you know I'm I'm certainly willing to to be a bit open minded about it. I it's one of those things where I'm not so emotionally invested in the others that I'm just going to completely write this off yet yeah, because exactly. it does have, it does have promising people uh, behind it. And I, like I said, I like David Harbour. I love it when that guy shows up and stuff. He was also um, uh, even if people didn't see Black Mass, which is the, oh uh, shit. I completely yeah. forgot he was in that. Yeah, even if people haven't seen Black Mass and they watch the trailer, they know who he is because he's the guy at the dinner table that Johnny Depp is talking to in yeah. the trailer. Yes. And uh, he had he was a really solid presence in that movie. Uh, I thought that, you know, I mean, it's not like some great, huge performance or whatever, but he's a solid presence, and that's what he gives any in anything that he's in. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to give it a shot. I... I just you know, wish that we wouldn't be rebooting everything. <laughs> but uh, you know, that's that's me. That's the and that's the uh, that's the um, the place we're in right now, sort of in the entertainment industry. Industry is reboot everything or sequelize everything. So you know, it was eventually going to happen, I guess, if they didn't have any sort of plans soon, because we're coming upon it's nine years since Hellboy two came out. So. Uh, that came out like two weeks before the Dark Knight, if nobody remembers that. So, I mean, it's it's uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting for sure. So, um, so our next bit of news, uh, and this is weird. Uh, there's not there's not much known about it, but uh, Judge Dredd, the wonderful Sylvester Stallone movie and the uh, Carl Urban remake thing that was better, uh, will be getting its own TV show. Uh, there's really not much known here, but I think it's apparently going to be called Judge Dredd Mega City One, 
Uh, sounds, like, it sounds like a really shit PlayStation 1 game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, it's going to be a TV series. We don't know who's in it. We don't know what network it's on. We know that uh, it's going to be, uh, I think, oh, what is it? The uh, Rebellion, the, the British game company that owns the rights are going to be uh, show running it. So Jason Kingsley, Jason and Chris Kingsley. Um, uh, is it Jason and Chris Kingsley? Anyway, um, so that's the deal. I, I, I am a fan of this. I like the world. I, I, think that, uh, I think that this could be a lot of fun if they don't put it on Fox. Um, because Fox took Minority Report and ripped it to shreds recently, and then the, the show was canceled. So let's not give it to Fox. But if like NBC took it on or or something, they've they've gotten a lot better in their ratings recently, uh, or CBS or or really anything but Fox, I, I would say. Or go you know HBO or FX or something a little more uh, uh, able to take on violence. That that would be interesting. Yeah, I mean that's. I am, I am Global's doing this, and uh, maybe Netflix. You know, if they could, if they could uh, take advantage of that possibility, that that would be interesting. But yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be neat to see what happens here if they go with like casting Carl Urban or something. Literally make it a uh, uh, an extension on the movie, or we don't know. Uh, it's it's gonna be really interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah, it's. I mean, you, you nailed it on the head. Like, this has to be on. Like, not maybe. It has to be on a premium channel like FXX, HBO, Showtime, Stars, or Netflix. It is the only way this this series is going to survive. When you take a movie like this that's this violent and you put it on Fox or NBC, they're going to axe that within the first two episodes because they're you know assholes like that. But with this one, <laughs> I imagine like. The violence to be as extreme and not over the top, but what you know, as you were kind of describing like a Judge Dredd like TV show, I kept uh, thinking about um, uh, Ash versus Evil Dead on Stars for some weird reason because like <laughs> that show is like super violent and super creative and it actually works for that show. I'm wondering, yeah, if, I, like I have a Judge Dredd's gonna be a little Judge Dredd's gonna be a little serious, you know, more ser- serious. So like, I'm not saying it's gonna be like that show, but. I imagine, like, I, like, because Ash vs. Evil Dead is fucking violent as hell. So I want them to, like, go on one of those networks that go, yeah, you can do whatever you want type deal. Or go on Netflix because Netflix will do whatever you want. So, yeah, I think in order for this to happen, there has to be a network that's willing to kind of go out, balls out with it, so to speak, and uh, be edgy. I mean, that's the only way this movie is going to survive because um, that's, the, that's the beauty of you know the Carl yeah. Urban remake is the, the yeah. kind of stylized violence and that's what you kind of remember and that's what kind of really makes the movie entertaining it, it makes the the world just kind of you know you you get into the world with that extreme violence that you know you can't just be dainty with it so um yeah it's got to go in one of those studios though they got to they got to invest some serious money whoever it is cuz that's going to yeah. be a really 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 expensive show um, yeah, I mean, apparently Jason Kingsley was telling The Guardian or something uh, that it's going to be one of the most expensive that the UK has ever seen because, you know, they're they're financing it. So, um, yeah, so it's interesting. All right, so so our next bit of news, I'm going to hand it over to Chase. Now, this is really interesting stuff, so go ahead, Chase, this third one. Okay, so I'm going to have to ha- like ask Joel politely over the air, where the fuck did you find this story? Because when you sent the notes to me, I was like, 
the fuck? Like, where'd you, did you find this like, in the underground part of the deep web? I, I never even heard of this. Okay, so uh, do you yeah. remember that uh, uh, adorable Allison Brie voiced uh, character in Lego Movie? Do you even remember? Of course you don't. Yes. Anyways, Uni Kitty <laughs> getting her own show. For, okay, first of all, Joel's got got to put some context on this because I have no idea where you found this, sir. <laughs> okay, so I, I honestly, I would, I went to, uh, I think, I think IMDb. I think I found it on IMDb. Um, pretty sure. Anyway, and yeah, I found it. So I absolutely remember Unikitty because actually Allison Brie, I think, was like my second runner-up to favorite voice performance of 2014 because there's a scene where she's trying to calm herself while her entire world explodes, literally. And it was amazing. Uh, so go back and watch that movie because she is absolutely incredible in it. Um, but yeah, I, I found this and it was amazing. So it's uh, Unikitty's going to be voiced by Tara Strong. And I, am I wrong? Is Tara Strong Harley Quinn? I'm okay, pretty so, sure. So I'm pretty sure Tara Strong is is Harley Quinn. Yes. So uh, Harley Quinn and pretty much everything from the '90s and a yeah. lot of modern stuff. Like she's everywhere, by the way. Yeah. And so apparently she's going to be the voice uh, of Unikitty, and so I find this very interesting. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm a fan of this. I, I got a big grin on my face because I was just like, okay, this is kind of perfect. That's perfect casting. Uh, first of all, I think that it's I think that it's great, and I, I just I'm I'm a fan of the character. I think that she could absolutely carry a series as long as it's one of those things that doesn't just complete you know go and go really long. I think I think that I think that a 65 episode thing surrounding that character would be really good um, and really funny if they if they played it right. Obviously, there's also the chance that it could be really cutesy and and kind of fake and, and all that phony or whatever, but there's always the chance of that with everything. Um, but nevertheless, I, I think that this is neat. This is a really neat idea to, to, to circle a, a, a character around her. Um, and so anyway, I, I was just wondering like, what, what do you think? And I guess we, we, we got it. You're just kind of confounded. Uh, I'm confused. Um, so I, <laughs> While you were talking about it, and the fact that they got Tara Strong, I'm wondering if they're going to kind of appeal to the um, My Little Pony crowd, uh, which it would might, not yeah, surprise it, me. Um, yeah, it, it, it might go to that crowd, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. which means it's probably going to have brighter colors. It's going to be very ADHD uh, you know, all over the, the screen and whatnot. Um, uh, but I, I get it. Really, people love those types of shows and whatnot. I, I don't know who greenlit this. I don't know who was high on a Saturday night. It was like... Hey, man, we should probably get that Unikitty uh, own show. <laughs> uh, that was Seth Rogen pitching it to someone else, and then they made a show. Um, l- l- listen, I uh, I have no desire to see this because, like I said, they're probably going to have the animation look like uh, My Little Pony. It's still, it's still going to have like the Lego look and kind of like that stop motion look to it, but it's going to be very bright and it's going to be very colorful and stuff, which is fine because that character it kind of fits it so it actually works out very well and Tara Strong I'm about to blow you guys' mind if you guys aren't really into her career uh, two of my favorite shows growing up uh, uh, on Nickelodeon Rugrats and uh, Fairly Odd Parents and I can tell you right now that she plays uh, <laughs> she plays Timmy on Fairly Odd Parents and she plays oh. Tommy on Rugrats and you're like wow oh. 
<laughs> so it's like she... I had no idea about that. Are, wait, are you serious? I I, I honestly didn't. I, I I mean, I watched those shows, but I I wasn't of the age where I was following like who voiced them. And so years later, I I just never looked into it. So I had no idea that she was also that voice. That's cool. Yeah, it's very it, cool. That's what I'm saying. Like she's been around for a while, and like she's even voiced uh, boys. She's voiced girls. Like she she can do it all. Like she's she's pretty great. And she's a very talented. Uh, voice actor in general like like i said just watch any like any clip for any one of her shows they all kind of have a similar kind of sound to them but they're still very distinctive in their own personalities and stuff and that's what's really great about um what she does and that's why she's one of the best so um yeah i i'm uh i'm totally fine with her being cast as the voice for that and i guess we'll see if there's another brony audience uh maybe the Bro, Unikitty audience? I have no fucking clue. Joel, bro, next bro, story. Joel, next fucking story. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so our next bit of news, I have to preface this one. So uh, this is getting into a little personal territory, but uh, several years ago, I was not in a good place, kind of just personally. And a friend of mine introduced me to the band Radiohead. Uh, it was in about 2010. I, I had heard like a song or two, but it, I didn't do the deep dive until early 2010. So they mean a lot to me, specifically the album Kid A uh, is probably the best album I've ever heard. And so this next bit of news was really exciting. And any news involving a member of Radiohead scoring or taking part in the music of some movie is, is uh, it means a lot to me. Like uh, Johnny Greenwood, you know, voice, uh, scored uh, There Will Be Blood, several other things. So... He was the he's the guitarist of that band. So, Tom York, uh, who is the front man of the group, um, is going to be scoring Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria remake, uh, which is awesome because I feel like he'd be perfect for that. I actually haven't seen Suspiria, but I get the I get the uh, the, the energy that the movie has, and I think that he could really come up with. You know that sort of. I, I I always connect Radiohead to Kubrick, and I feel like, for whatever reason, and I feel like he could come up with a score that feels like a Kubrick score, if you will. Kubrick movies have great scores in them, and um, and I mean, it's just it's awesome. I I just I love this bit of news. Tom York is is just he's a great guy. I I love Radiohead. I love his voice. I think that his his musical talent is is insane, and uh, and I, this gives me a chance to to see Suspiria, the original 1997 or 1997, 1977 movie from Dario Argento, um, in time for this uh, for this remake, which stars Tilda Swinton, right? Um, and she's in it. I can't remember who's playing. Uh, who is it? It's Suspiria. Chloe Grace Moretz. What? Oh yeah, okay. Chloe Grace Moretz and Dakota Johnson are in it, uh, and Tilda Swinton, Mia, Mia Goth. So I'm really excited for this, just in general. And I think that Tom, you're a, a member of Radiohead, really being added to to produce the score. That's just going to be so awesome. Uh, so what are, are you a fan of this? Are you a fan of Radiohead? I don't even know. But uh, are you a are you a fan of this news, Chase? Well, I didn't realize was, this was a therapy session. Um, uh, Radio, <laughs> Radiohead, I. I haven't listened to him in a while. Believe it or not, the first time I ever he- even heard of Radiohead was in my 
one of my favorite episodes of South Park when uh, the the very dark one Scott Tinnerman must die one uh, and Radiohead's mm. kind of like the the forefront not the forefront but they're like the, um, kind of the backdrop of the episode that was the first time I heard about them and then uh, I started listening to their music and whatnot and they're they're pretty good they're they're solid. Um, I'm more of a, a heavy metal guy, you know. I'm more into like um, the Metallicas and the Jewish priests and all that stuff. So like I, I'm I'm into like that heavy like, uh, you know, not heavy because then you know heavy metal people might get angry at me. So I'm into metal and rock of uh, like 70s and 80s era, but um, uh, primarily. But uh, Radiohead, I believe it or not, like the uh, when you said that just kind of out loud, loud doing the Suspiria remake. Do you think he's gonna do something kind of like on the long lines of like what Trent Reznor does for uh, the modern David Fincher films, kind of like that I, kind of I eerie could, soundtrack type of deal? I could totally see that. Yeah. I, I, I feel like that's a that's a big possibility. I think that he'll be able to to accompany the action really well uh, in a way. You know, it's gonna be very bloody. It's gonna be uh, from what I understand. So. I mean, I I think that he just anything anybody from Radiohead fits that, but I think that having you know Tom York do it, it's it's going to be really really neat to to listen to that soundtrack. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to this movie a lot more, and looking forward to, now, and looking forward to finally catching up with the original uh, now more even more than I was. So I'm I'm a big fan of that. So our uh, last bit of news is the other bit of superhero news. I'm going to hand that over to Chase to to talk about. Oh, shit. Guys, listen. 20th Century Fox is just laying down th- their balls on the table right now. Like, listen, we got a bunch of shit coming out. Uh, get ready for it. Which I, I, I'm I'm excited. Like, on an equal playing uh, level of, like, you know, Marvel movies and 20th Century Fox Marvel movies. Like, it's insane. Like, every single piece of news that, like, comes out of that studio and stuff uh, is great. And maybe I'm just high off the fact that Joel and I saw Alien Covenant. Uh, and that was 20th Century Fox, and uh, they're, do- they're they're just doing a great job. Um, but the new mu- New Mutants is going to be like the third film in uh, this kind of like um, slate that got going on. They got Deadpool two coming out next year. They have uh, the Dark Phoenix uh, X Men film with the uh, you know the cast from um, uh, you know X Men Apocalypse, and then of course New Mutants is going to come out right after that. Uh, so the news is that they have their first two female leads. Um, Maisie Williams uh, from uh, Game of Thrones, which uh, I know people are going to get angry. I've only seen four episodes of Game of Thrones. Do not shoot me. I will watch it all eventually, but there's just so much goddamn television. And the other one, uh, just recently from her hit Split, is Anya Taylor-Joy, and also from the hit The Witch. Uh, She's on a a streak right now. And uh, so... uh, Joel, uh, do you know what characters they're playing? Uh, I think it's like is one of them Death, like Deathstroke or something. Uh, that, hold that on, that's definitely second. not the name. Um, so okay. uh, I can't. <laughs> no, no, because like I, 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 I'm sorry, guys, I didn't have time to research. Just I got other stuff going on, but uh, I did see the headline. And I started uh, just reading a little bit, and you know, um, them being attached to the New Mutants and stuff. So I apologize, but. If you want to talk about talent alone, because I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know their characters and know you know their powers or personalities. I, I don't. So I'm going to go strictly on their talent and their acting abilities. I have never seen Maisie Williams act. And it's not, you know, uh, I'm not saying she's terrible. Like I said, that's my fault. I have not seen Game of Thrones. She, she is playing Wolfsbane. Wolfsbane, okay. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I, I've never seen her act 
at all. Like, I've seen the first four episodes of Game of Thrones, but that was when she was, like, a, a youngling to where I can't really judge it off of that. However, I can judge Anya Taylor-Joy, because I've seen both of her films, and they're both fucking awesome. I love The Witch, and I, I love uh, the fact that that was kind of, like, her first big feature to really kind of uh, throw, uh, throw herself out in, in front of the public and really, I think, do a good job. I did not care for the movie Morgan, but she did the best she could. And then in Split, she was crying in every scene. So, there's, you know, there was that. But uh, I, I'm serious. If you go back and rewatch Split, she's literally crying in every single scene. It, it's amazing. I, I don't know how much uh, uh, water has exited her face uh, while making that movie. But uh, she's really great in Split, too. She has, like, that, you know, the fearful, like, captive. Like, you know, James McAvoy has captured these girls. She doesn't have any clue what's going on. She finally gets to understand uh, James McAvoy's character and really kind of, you know, be on like an equal kind of ground with him. And so she kind of does a character shift there. And then towards the end, of course, you can probably guess that she becomes the hero of some sort. So she becomes very heroic, very confident. So she does have a really great arc in Split, uh, even for a small little horror thriller like that. So her is a great... She's magic. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um... I still don't know any of those characters. Uh, I, listen, I love the X-Men to death, but, like, I'm talking core X-Men. I'm not uh, – the New Mutants comics, I, I, I don't think I've ever seen an issue of that, and that's my fault. I apologize. But uh, Anya Taylor-Joy is a great pick. Uh, she is an up-and-coming talent. If you guys have not seen The Witch, watch her in that. Watch her in Split. If you're curious about Morgan, go, go for it, but I wouldn't suggest it. Uh, but she is a great pick. And, hey, listen – even though I've never seen Maisie Williams act, the fact that they're pulling from Game of Thrones twice now, that's pretty fucking cool. Because as you guys know, uh, Sophie Turner is uh, Jean Grey in the Dark Phoenix uh, movie, so, uh, and she was also Jean Grey in Apocalypse. I thought she did a pretty good job. I, I really liked her um, kind of interaction with Ty Sheridan, uh, who plays Cyclops, and you know, eventually they're, you know, they're lovers in the, the, the comic series and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, this is a pretty... Pretty great piece of news, and uh, listen, if they get these two women, think about this, if they get these two women to be in the movie right now, and they're the first two to kind of sign on the dotted line, who who knows, like, what uh, what what's the other cast? Like, it could be, like, some really great people on this roster to really kind of push forward this new mutant type of generation and really kind of get um, uh, kind of a new generation of people to love it, so... Uh, yeah, I think this is great news all around. So, uh, Joel, um, I, I know that you um, um, like to shower your distaste and your uh, your bitterness of my love for comic book movies. I get that. Um, did you? Uh, <laughs> did uh, I, I don't think we've ever talked about. It. Did you like Apocalypse? Did you like kind of like the new group of mutants? And um, uh, what do you think about this casting? Uh, yeah, I, I, I thought Apocalypse was good, um, and I, I did like the new cast. I, I'm a big fan of Anya Taylor-Joy. I liked her in uh, Morgan, even. I wasn't a huge fan of the movie, but she was good in it. Uh, and, of course, I liked The Witch and Split, So and I liked her in both of those. So I think that she's a really promising talent, uh, and maybe even more than promising. She's been in three things now that are fairly you know high uh, high profile. So I'm... I'm, uh, you know, curious to see what she can bring to a giant ensemble like this with, you know, a bunch of visual effects work, and that's going to be a new, I think that's going to be kind of a new uh, arena for her, so I'm, I'm excited for that. I really, I'm looking through uh, Maisie Williams's 
um, filmography here. I don't think I've seen her in anything. So <laughs> it's just like I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm literally not recognizing anything here. So I mean, I, I didn't. I think I watched two episodes of Game of Thrones. I'm in your, I'm in your, you know, I'm in your ballpark there. I, I just haven't watched a lot because there's so much to watch already. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if if they are uh, if they're pulling from a show like Game of Thrones, you're right. I mean, it's it's uh, it's a good it's a good sign. So I like Sophie Turner as well. So I don't know. I mean, it's it's uh, it's good that they're casting this. You know, that they're that they're getting the ball rolling because I'm excited for this. Um, well, let's just say that they're off to a good start. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, I think that's it for the news. There, you know, there were some other little tiny things that happened, but it was a short week, um, or short, slow week, I should say. Um, but yeah, so we're gonna move on to the trailers now, uh, and I'm gonna open us up with this wonderful-looking sequel. Uh, it's Blade Runner 2049 from director Denis Villeneuve, uh, and this, of course, stars Ryan Gosling um, as we don't know yet. Do we? Um, and then, of course, Harrison Ford's back as Deckard. Uh, I cannot wait for this movie. I cannot wait. I am, I am like foaming at the mouth. This, this honestly, like Star Wars fan that I am, this might be my most anticipated fall big blockbuster thing. And I know that 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 Chase probably just died uh, at that. Uh, announcement, but it, it really is. I, I I adore the original film. I think that it's a, really something special. Um, it's a great vision. It had it had visual effects from the guy who did uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey. Douglas Trumbull did the visual effects on on Blade Runner. I think that it's a great screenplay. It's a great story that that they're telling in the movie. I love Harrison Ford's performance in it. Uh, it's a classic for a reason. Uh, I've only seen the final cut, actually, but nevertheless, that's that's the one that's kind of the definitive. Uh, watch this version of it, um, and I'm really excited to see what Villeneuve is able to bring to this world. Uh, because, man, can can you imagine? Like after Arrival and Sicario and Prisoners and Enemy. And I know that you know people love Incendie and Polytechnique, which were his earlier movies. Uh, I, I just this guy is one of my favorites. Like, just this whole trailer is awesome. It, it showcases Roger Deakins' cinematography extremely well. It doesn't really tell us what the plot is, uh, which I like. It's 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 hinting. It's doing what a great trailer should do. It's hinting at a lot of surprises, a lot of unknown variables in the storytelling without giving anything away. It's like exactly the opposite of what the Alien Covenant tra- trailers did <laughs> on the, on the, uh, on the, you know, speaking of like Ridley Scott movies. Um, and I just, I just love the visual look. I love how it's edited. I just, man, I loved uh, Jared Leto's uh, appearance in this, creepy blind guy. Uh, I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for saying that I love Jared Leto in something, but Anyway, um, nevertheless, I, I think that the cast all looks just awesome, and uh, and I just I cannot wait for this. So Chase, how excited are you? 2013, Gravity comes out. 
Emmanuel Besky goes up there and accepts his cinematography award for Best Cinematography at the Oscars. 2014 rolls around. Birdman wins Best Cinematography, and Lubeski gets up there for a second time in a row. 2015 rolls around. He goes up there a third time in a row for The Revenant. A beautiful-looking movie. Step aside, motherfucker, because we got Roger Deakins going up there to finally <laughs> accept this fucking award that he's been he's been shunned at for like the past like four or five fucking years. This is a gorgeous-looking trailer. Good Lord. I cannot believe a man of his uh, age can still create um, movies that look like this. It's it's incredible. It's engrossing. Like, listen, I, I, I might make people mad, but I will do my homework. Trust me. I saw Blade Runner a long time ago. And by a long time, I mean at least a decade ago. I have the final cut on DVD, and I watched half of it like five years ago. So I need to watch the full thing to really kind of get back into this world. So I, my knowledge on it is kind of... It's a, it's a little dim uh, to kind of comment on the continuation of it. But as a standalone trailer to this movie, uh, I really liked it. Because like you said, the, the mystery is there. You don't really know what's going on, but it's beautifully shot. It really kind of captures the essence of this world. The action looks really great. The acting looks really top-notch. Uh, it, I think it's a very interesting combination to have Harrison Ford and Ryan Gosling uh, uh, go back at each other so that'll be uh interesting but yeah i think from the visual look alone and just kind of the overall essence of what we're about to get into has sold me and i, I will definitely um want to see this for sure when it comes out uh but i do need to do my homework and watch the final cut on dvd because i do have it i will watch it so i can get reevaluated with this world again and uh you know kind of understand why people love it so much because when i first saw it i was a teenager so i didn't really no film back in the day and of course you know when i saw it five years ago for a half of it you know i wanted to finish it i just never did so i I really do need to just watch it fresh over again and really kind of get like a new set of eyes on it uh type of deal but as far as this trailer i'm curious about it however however and this is not the 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 movie the or the trailer this is Warner Brothers and uh, its distributing company, uh, Alcon, that's making this. They're going to lose a lot of money on this movie. Yeah, and they I are. Feel, I feel really bad for it because I know a lot of people, that are, they're really excited for Blade Runner 2049. That, that's, that's cool, but people also have to realize Blade Runner, when it came out, was a flop. And it's gained a cult following since then. But when you put this trailer in front of a normal movie-going audience that maybe sees five movies a year, and so they have to pick five movies to go see, they're going to look at that trailer and be really confused. They're going to be like, I don't, what, what is this? Like, yeah, the colors are nice, and it's beautifully shot, but what is this type of deal? So I'm really worried that this is not going to click with the majority of moviegoers, and this movie costs $200 million, and Warner, Warner Brothers is about to eat shit with one of their movies this weekend, and Joel's about to review it, and they're going to lose a lot of money on uh, uh, you know, King Arthur. They're going to lose a lot of money on this one. So I don't know what the fuck is happening over there, but they are not... Ugh, they are making some terrible decisions. But as hardcore movie fans, we're going to try to go see it and support it as much as we can, but this movie is going to fail pretty damn bad. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I usually don't have to pay for, uh, for movie tickets because of some perks that I get, but... Uh, I'm going to pay for this one 
think because I want to I want to add to its box office intake as much as I can even if it's just like whatever twelve dollars or whatever. Um, but yeah, they basically Warner's existing on the back of the DCEU right now. Uh, the Wonder Woman and Justice League are basically their their uh, the movies they're <laughs> they're gonna have to you know be be fine with uh, making their money for them uh, this year and that's kind of sad because you know King Arthur whatever its uh, quality could have been an interesting franchise and Blade Runner twenty forty forty nine is just you know, it's a sequel to a beloved classic that you're right is a is a cult item more more than a an actual success uh, at a box office on a box office level. It's going to be very sad to watch, but uh, to watch that happen, you know, when it when those box office numbers roll in, it's not gonna it's not gonna be doing well. So, or it's gonna maybe do well ish, but it's not going to make them any money. It's gonna lose them money, as you said. Yeah, and, I mean, because uh, it costs them. It's so. good. They have to make at least five hundred million. I would say, anywhere, the ballpark is four fifty to five hundred mil just to break even. I just I don't yeah. see that happening. Yeah, it's crazy. Although in twenty eighteen, there's like a, a a blockbuster every week, and I'm sure that some of them are are Warner Brothers. So they may they may have a cushion there in, in twenty eighteen. They, they yeah, do well, have they do have it coming out in September. Oh, so, that's true. So hopefully true. Uh, that will. Hopefully that will be a, like a really like nice sleeper hit, like R-rated sleeper hit for him. So listen, I don't root for any studio to fail, but when you make dumbass decisions like this, it's it's not gonna like who who in their right mind said let's make a Blade Runner sequel to a film that flopped at the box office and really didn't do that well, and let's put two hundred million dollars into the it just made, listen. I think their money was well spent because it looks fantastic it looks gorgeous but this this movie is going to probably have another cult group with it just like the first one so whatever we shall find out i'm i'm on a movie level i am i'm stoked for it it's 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 up there for sure as one of my most anticipated uh of the year so i'm i'm super thrilled speaking of sequels let's move on to the second trailer i'll i'll give this to you chase you're welcome oh god damn it you all right so um (laughs) Alright, so uh, this is like the 500th trailer uh, that uh, Disney Pixar has released with Cars 3, and this tells the story of uh, uh, Light McQueen, and he's getting a little older, he's being beat out by, you know, faster, slicker models, so he's become that old fart at the party, you just kick him out and go shoot him out at pasture, while the other ones, uh, like, uh, um, uh, what's his name, Jackson Storm, come in and save the day and kick his ass. I don't care. I really don't. Uh, Listen... The first Cars is fine. I know a lot of people do not like it. The first Cars is whatever. It's a whatever type of Pixar movie. I didn't care for the sequel at all. I just I don't care about this franchise, and it always boggles my mind. And we're getting the sequel to this, by the way. So I'm not I'm not saying this is not happening, but <laughs> when you have three movies in a franchise that's very subpar from you know to most you know people out there. And they can't make an incredible sequel, you know, a few years after the first one. That's that I take issue with that. It's like, where are your fucking priorities, Pixar? And I realize that John Lasseter, this is his baby, this is his deal. And I, I also realize from a business standpoint, this is probably their their biggest moneymaker franchise because kids love cars. It's, it's perfect for toys and stuff. I get that, but for movie quality, I just really don't care. And this trailer, it's like, 
It's it's whatever. It's it it doesn't look near as bad as the second one. I will give it that. Um, I I just I just want them to kind of infuse like that rich kind of powerful storytelling you see like in a Toy Story three or Up or something, and, and apply it to Cars because I know they can do it. If you can make a movie about us caring about fucking toys, then you can make us care about fucking cars with giant, you know, coked out eyes. So it's one of those things to where, like, it just kind of makes me mad that the team of Pixar has to succumb to just, you know, bright colors and flashes and funny jokes for kids rather than substance. So I don't really care about the trailer at all. It's it's a, it's whatever. It's going to make a shit ton of money. Finding Dory crushed it last year, uh, and it was the number one, uh, I believe, animated movie last year. It made, like, over 400-something million just domestically and alone. This is also going to crush it. Um, now the first two did okay, but I have a feeling there's this weird pit in my stomach that that tells me that this and Despicable Me 3 will probably battle it out for the top animated film of the year, uh, box office wise. So I don't really care for it, but, um, Joel, um, what about you? (laughs) Well, I mean, unless like Coco is some sort of, which is their uh, November movie, is some sort of, yeah, is some sort of huge, like, surprise or something or and not a good dinosaur where to go um then yeah it, this is going to be their more uh financially successful movie of the year which makes me sad because coco is an original product yeah uh, it's, it's a labor of love in comparison to this uh and because this is you know it might be a labor of love as a franchise but it's still a franchise which you know has a sort of corporate feel to it and uh, this trailer's all over the place. It looks certainly better than the uh, second one, which was just basically like James Bond the cartoon. It was not very. <laughs> well. The first one was, you know, I like it, but this is this this is the franchise in Pixar in Pixar's history that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to have a world full of cars. Uh, I don't care what kind of theories you throw out. There was that one. <laughs> I can't remember what I said, but nevertheless, it makes no sense to have a world full of cars. You know, how how did that happen? And I just I don't I don't care to find out I don't care to see his fight with Jackson Storm and in fact I can tell listeners right now that there's a good chance that uh, I mean I'll see it probably to review it for my website but we probably won't be talking about this movie and on a podcast I believe that that weekend will be taken up with something else. Uh, Joel, so I, th- I think I think our listeners are fine with that. I think they can yes. live with that decision. <laughs> Nevertheless. To remain forewarned, that's we're not talking about this this movie. I I will probably review it, but uh, whatever. You know, it's just one of those whatever things. I I don't have many feelings yet. It was a high profile trailer this week, so I figured we should talk about it. Um, all right. So our next one is an interesting little title. It's called Jeanette. Uh, it is from director Bruno Dumont, who is a prolific French director. He's been working, I think, since the eighties or nineties. Uh, I've seen one of his movies, and it was a three-and-a-half-hour um, crime comedy called Lil' Ken Ken. Uh, it was about a uh, bumbling detective. It was basically like if Mr. Bean was put in charge of the case from Seven, um, and it was really unique. And In fact, actually, it was probably darker than the case in Seven, uh, which is hard to believe to anybody who hasn't seen the movie, but trust me, whoa. Uh, and it was really good. It was a special mention uh, on the outside of my top ten that year because uh, it played as a TV series in its homeland of France. Um, 
But uh, this one is a musical about the childhood of Joan of Arc, uh, back when she had her former name of Jeanette. Uh, and this looks really unique. Uh, it looks to be sung entirely on the spot, uh, you know, like on, uh, on location, I should say, like Les Miserables uh, was several years ago. Um, and I think that the visual style of the trailer is very much in in tune with uh, with his visual style. He's known for having a unique uh, sort of control behind the camera, and he certainly showed that in Little Ken Ken. It looks like he shows that here. Uh, and I just I just like this. I, I, it looks really funny in that sort of uh, um, not really scholastic way, but scholarly kind of way. It's it's a very smart kind of humor, but it looks silly too. Uh, and it just looks like a really great musical. It looks like it's going to have some unique choreography, uh, you know, kind of on location again. I mean, it's it's not usual to have something like that uh, be the case. And he shoots. He's famous for shooting things on location. So I, I'm I'm really looking forward to this. I think it looks unique and very funny and very very sweet. Uh, looks like the kid is really good who plays Jeanette. Uh, and I'm. I'm curious. You, I, I sent this to Chase, and then he was just like, "Well, that's something." So, Chase, what did you think of this trailer? It was fucking weird, man. Like, I, well, the whole thing was playing like, yeah, it was kind of. It had like that Wes Anderson type of. It's almost like a yeah. Wes Anderson was given like, like a Nazi story. Was like, "Hey, man, can you make that really quirky or something?" I, I don't know. It was just. I don't know if it really fits with, uh, you know, like you said, like the, the childhood of Joan of Arc. It just, like, the trailer itself was fine. Then when they, you know, showed the title and it was like, Jeanette, you know, uh, uh, what did it say? What was the subtitle? The Childhood of Joan of Arc. Okay, see, that's where it lost me. That's when it was like, I was like, oh, that's that's really weird. Because Joan of Arc was, like, a pretty iconic <laughs> figure. And, yeah. like, it just... <laughs> I don't know. I listen. I'm all into like kind of weird foreign films. I that stuff doesn't bother me. I just I'm not really into this. Now Joel's gonna watch it because he watches way more movies than I do per week. So when he says it's good, I will then watch it. But I'm not gonna go out of my way to watch it. But I will I will agree with you. It's very creative. It's very unique. Uh, definitely threw me off guard and it had my attention throughout the trailer. But the whole Joan of Arc thing, I really don't care for. So th- there you go. Okay. <laughs> All right, our next trailer is one that we just mentioned actually a couple seconds ago, the movie at least. Uh, go go at it, Chase. Holy shit, I'm so fucking excited for this. Just like with last week, Joel and I shat all over the Dark Tower. Like it's like it's not like the worst thing ever, but it's also like in comparison to it, it looks like garbage. So when the first Itch trailer came out, it was terrifying. It just it made me like shiver. I loved the the cinematography and just the way it was put together. It really creeped you the fuck out. This second trailer was just like that. Um, I love the uh, the way it opens. I love the kind of camaraderie between the kids. And we kind of see their personalities kind of shine through and how they're going to interact with each other. You know, they, they they sound like you know kids. They sound you know Joel and I were little boys once. Like uh, you know like going searching in the sewer finding dead bodies or you know saying the word shit and fuck every two seconds that's this the way childhood was and i felt that it felt authentic it didn't feel like 
these kids were reading off of a script. It felt like they were just kind of shooting the shit, and the director was kind of capturing it, and it just it came off as kind of natural. And that last ending shot of fucking Pennywise behind that balloon, and the balloon goes up, and then you see that scary-ass, like, grin on his face with his eyes... Or I mean, his head dipped down, his eyes looking up. I hate that look. It makes me, it makes me scared to my wits. I'm gonna have nightmares. Like it's such a great final shot for that trailer. I, I will say this though: there, ha- no more trailers. Stop. Just fucking stop it. We're good. We're golden. I just don't want them to reveal too much because the first trailer was great to really kind of show us how terrifying this movie is gonna be. And I love that last final bit in the the first trailer of him uh, or Pennywise like coming out of the water. It's no fucking no. I will shoot it with a shotgun. Shoot it in its dick. I don't give a shit. I'm gonna put it down. And then the second <laughs> one uh, was great with that final shot. So I absolutely love the second trailer. I cannot, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think it might be my like top three for the rest of the year that I'm looking forward to. Because I'm a huge fan of horror films, and I really do love a good Stephen King movie. And this one, listen, the Tim Curry ones from the '90s, you know the the TV miniseries. It it is what it is. Like, I will accept it. I own it. I like watching it for entertainment purposes. And yes, it is creepy that with the iconic Tim Curry in the sewer. But I think they're going to really go a more terrifying route with this version. And I cannot fucking wait. So, uh, Joel, give it to me, man. What what'd you think? Oh, man, I can't wait for this. Uh, this this was even better than the first trailer. I, I, I just, uh, again, I have to sing the praises of the cinematographer, Chang Hoon Chung, or I think I think that's his name. Um, who shot The Handmaiden last year. Uh, the guy knows his way around precision in his shots, and I, I think that this is going to be the same way. There's a lot of that showcased here. Uh, the kids... I love how it's basically a scene, technically. It's not even a trailer. Yeah, it's exactly. Like and I love that. I love that. I was I was actually secretly hoping that that's, how, that's what they would go with as a second trailer, mm-hmm. like showing us essentially a clip that then, you know... Uh, teases a little bit of something at the end and I love that final shot I love what Bill Skarsgård seems to be doing with Pennywise the dancing clown yes. um, you have to say that with a funny accent the dancing clown <laughs> anyway um, <laughs> because it looks creepy it looks scary I'm, I'm a fan of scary stuff uh, you know horror films when they're scary I like it I think that this is going to be one uh, certainly seems to be from the trailers of course obviously trailers can be deceiving sometimes but I, it absolutely uh, skyrocketed this into my top ten. It was it was certainly anticipated uh, before this point, but this trailer sealed it. I, I can't wait. Uh, certainly a lot more excited for this than The Dark Tower. Um, and I'm still going to try to read the book, uh, or at least read the part of... Because I mean, I'm pretty sure it's a part one. Um, and I'm going to try to read that part before this movie comes out. Um, because it, it should... It should uh, cover the first half i think it's the first or whatever the first part of the book yeah Um, i think uh the marketing has been on point so far because at first i still i because i uh i subscribe to entertainment weekly right and so i have the issue where they first showed the pennywise photos and those i did not like those photos at all i was like oh this looks like some weird party city get up like it doesn't even look terrifying but then the poster and both of the pieces of marketing in terms of trailers have nailed it and they've switched me to a complete 180 to where I wasn't even looking forward to this. Now that the trailers have won me over, I'm like super stoked now. So that's the power of marketing, folks, is when those first photos came out, I did not like whatsoever. But all the pieces of marketing, including that damn poster that's creepy as hell, I have absolutely loved. So, yeah, it 
cannot come here faster. September 8th. All right, so our last trailer. Uh, you know, a, a bit ago I mentioned that Blade Runner 2049 uh, did a good job of, the trailer for it, did a good job of teasing us uh, and not really telling us what the movie is about. Uh, this next trailer, in the most fascinating way possible, literally does not tell us anything about what the movie's about. Uh, and it is called Woodshock. Uh, this is the la one of the latest from A24. It has Kirsten Dunst. And I cannot tell you the plot because I have no idea what it is. And I can't wait to find out. This is – the imagery in this trailer is absolutely magnificent. Uh, I, I just there, – there's really not much to talk about but just to gush about it because it's such a it, – it sets the tone and the atmosphere so well without telling us anything about the plot essentially. Um, and uh, the, the, those are the best trailers I think. Just just teasing us without actually letting us know what it is. Uh, but Kirsten Dunn's looks great. I mean it's got – it's going to be a movie that's going to be – difficult to carry on on one's shoulders as an actor uh you can already tell that from the trailer um and yeah i, I just i'm so excited for this uh and uh, just so y'all know i think i mentioned it last week but chase and i generally don't tell each other things uh you know about what we think unless we see a movie together um in which case it's kind of impossible not to uh but we started you know when i when i started co-hosting we started a thing where we just wouldn't tell each other what the other thought. So I had a good idea about what he thought about the Blade Runner 2049 trailer from a post he made, uh, you know, and a, and a good idea of what he thought of the uh, Jeanette trailer. But I haven't talked to him at all about Woodshock. So, Chase, what what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, are you as are you as intrigued as I am by the by the uh, tone setting trailer here? All right. So, if you guys want to like imagine what this trailer is like, because I know you guys are, you know, listening through this you know, through an audio source, so you know we have to describe stuff visually, and you know, uh, Joel and I are not the best storytellers, so it's a little hard. But the best way to describe this trailer is if you watched Melancholia on acid. Like that's exactly how the the trailer looks. Like if you guys never saw Melancholia, it's my favorite uh, Lon, uh, Lars von Trier movie. Uh, it's also got Kirsten Dunst and deals a lot with uh, depression and the world. And it's just, it's a really kind of like beautiful uh, last moments of earth, uh, you know, living on earth type of deal. And I, I really loved it. And this kind of tra this trailer emulated that Joel's right. I have no idea what the hell this movie's about, but the imagery is fascinating. It's almost got like this lucid dreamlike type of look to it. It almost looks like it has like, you know, the stylings of like a David Lynch, uh, type of um, you know, dreamlike type of uh, tone to it. Now, is that like I I'm going to be honest with you? If this was from a another studio, I would I would sell the trailer just because it really doesn't give me much hope. If it was from another studio, but I'm telling you, just like with Blumhouse, I feel the same way about anything A24 pumps out. To where if I see their header. In front of a trailer, I get excited. It, it already makes me 50% excited for the, the the project because they are so great at selecting great projects. I believe that they'll probably do a good job with this movie. As a first trailer, it's intriguing. I like Kirsten Dunst. I like the way it looks. And it could be like one of those movies where 
we don't really know what's real and what's not type of deal and we don't know um you know what's actually happening like in her head or like you know what's actually happening you know in real life we don't know and it kind of looks like it's going to be played out that way um i'm excited strictly for a 24's sake uh but if i had like for instance um the the first teaser to it comes at night that was delivered beautifully because it, it it captured the tone it captured the essence it captured the feel of the movie with one long tracking shot this didn't really capture any feel for me it was just more like this is the kind of the style they're going for you know with like that lucid looking uh kind of acid look so um i'm intrigued but uh yeah it's a24 so i'm gonna buy it obviously for sure <laughs> Yeah, there's really not much more to say than that. I, I, I feel the same way. Uh, I, this this stuff is the is the stuff that I'm usually excited for. So, I'm uh, I'm down. Uh, so, what was y'all's favorite trailer? Favorite bit of news? Tell us both of those things uh, below. I guess Chase's face technically, um, and not below mine. <laughs> uh, but uh, we're gonna move on to the reviews now um, because there are three coming your way. Uh, the first is going to be from Chase, and I'm, I'm going to introduce it, but uh, nevertheless, it's his favorite comedy of all time, and that is Snatched. Uh, this, is, this is the new film from Jonathan Levine, or Levine um, who of course directed 50-50 and Warm Bodies, um, and it, it, it stars Amy Schumer and Goldie Hawn as a, mother da- or as a daughter-mother pair. Uh, reconnect after being kidnapped by a Colombian drug cartel. Uh, so, Chase, take it away. Why did you love this movie so much? Joel, why are you lying to the public? What are you, the president? <laughs> Alright, so uh, here's the deal. Um, 2000, I, I'm going to ramp up to this because I, I think it's very important. Uh, 2011. 50-50 comes out. And it, it absolutely blows my mind. It's a really great dramedy and I really loved uh, the the kind of care and kind of um, emotional core that the movie had from Jonathan uh, Levine Levine's directing. Uh, 2013 rolls around, uh, or wait, no, 2014. Excuse me. Uh, it's it's one of those years. Uh, Warm Bodies comes out. Warm Bodies was actually it was a lot of fun. It was like you know a nice little sweet looking take on a um, uh, a zombie film, a zombie love story. It was fun. The night before, Seth Rogen, I'm a Seth Rogen fanboy, that movie was, eh, it, it wasn't that good, it had a couple of moments, but I would still accept that one over Snatched. There's one word to describe this movie, embarrassing. I'm, I'm embarrassed for the producer, Paul Feig, I'm embarrassed for the writer, Katie Dippold, who did write Ghostbusters last year, but she has also written um, several episodes of one of my favorite television comedies of all time parks and rec so i will give her a pass and then jonathan levine directs it you have amy schumer in it and you have goldie hawn coming out of a a, kind of like a 15 year hiatus from acting like i just don't understand like how you could screen this in front of your executives and go yeah we're good with that let's go so i'm gonna do my best to break this down because i i did not like this movie whatsoever but all right so snatched I do not root against comedies, right? And so I look forward to every single comedy that comes out. Yes, even the bad-looking ones because I know deep down that there might be like some inkling, you know, just like want, like hoping it's good and like it, it's the best raunchy comedy of the year. I, I hope that. I love 
those types of films. I love dark commies. I love dry commies. I love it all. I give them all a chance. These trailers did not win me over. At all. Joel knows this. So I was going into it already knowing that I was probably going to dislike it. So I was already biased going in. I should have done that. But, you know, I try to clear my mind as much as I can before I see the movie. And I was still excited to see. I was like, oh, you know, I love Trainwreck, so let's let's do this. So I think the biggest issue with this film is that Jonathan Levine has this weird kind of tonal clashing of raunchy humor and dark humor. And it doesn't it doesn't work for me. And also he tries to throw in, you know, the dramatic stuff. So, you know, it's a comedy with heart. I get that. I love those types of movies. But this one just felt abrupt. It was like, let's do this raunchy-ass scene and we're serious. Or let's do this dark scene. Oh, my God. Someone got shot in the fucking dick or face. And then let's do a raunchy scene. Like, it just, it seemed to kind of just class, clash against each other. Was a, It was ultimately a detriment to the film. Because I... First of all, I didn't find it funny, and I realized that, you know, humor is subjective. I get that. So, I didn't find it funny to begin with, and so, on top of that, it was just, it was so just shifty in its tones, it just, it didn't work for me. And I think the worst part out of all of this, not only the tonal clashing, is that the main characters were not really likable, and they were not funny. Like, I didn't think Amy Schumer and Goldie Hawn were funny at all. I actually found more humor and enjoyment from the supporting characters, whether it be a Wanda Sykes or Joan Cusack. Uh, Christopher Maloney was really fun to watch. Um, Ike Barinholtz had a couple good scenes. They actually carried the movie for me. It was not the main characters. I know that Amy Schumer's got to enter inside Amy Schumer. Um, But uh, listen, I'm not a fan of her stand-up at all. And I've seen her live in concert it's 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 whatever. She's got her fans. I, I I understand that, but I really did like Trainwreck, and that was that's what's kind of the difference. And I said this in my review on the YouTube channel. I'll say it here. I hate bringing up movies that have no correlation with the other, but I have to. So Trainwreck, Amy Schumer wrote it. She started it, and it was directed by Judd Apatow. It had it had uh, heart. It it had like this nice kind of soft human side to it while still being raunchy and entertaining with really great like characters that you could actually see in real life it was a really well done comedy then you get to this movie which has no likable characters it's trying way too damn hard with the comedy um and just seeing goldie hawn in this just makes me sad it's like you pulled her out of retirement for this shit so yeah, just the the acting overall and the, the direction is, I think, the, the poorest quality about this film for sure. They they have several green screen shots that annoy me. Like I, I like it it it's shot on location for the most part, but they do a lot of green screen, which is really ironic because they spent all that money to go to these locations. But whatever. Uh, so there's a couple shots that look like really bad, like that. Um, I I just think for uh, its hour and a half runtime, it just kind of stretches out into this like never ending like barrage of just terrible jokes or jokes that you see from a mile away that's that's another sad thing about this there's just too many sad things about this is that when you're sitting there and and this might be my fault because i see like a hundred movies a year i see a lot of comedy so i know a bunch of the raunchy jokes i know a lot of them that come out but this was like super apparent it was almost like ghostbusters i'm not even joking same writer so it makes sense to where i saw everything coming from a mile away 
Not plot-wise, joke-wise. And that's not good for your comedies. I want to be surprised. I want to be caught off guard. That's the whole excitement uh, that you receive from comedies. The same way with horror movies. You do not want to see anything coming. You just want to see it happen in front of you, catch you off guard, and catch you either in a laugh or scare or cry or whatever. That's that's what makes a great movie. Um, But this film is lazy. I feel like no one was trying. It just felt like a throwaway movie. And what pisses me off, and you know what? Good for Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. They're about to have the top two movies of the weekend. Uh, you know, they're a couple in real life. But it just pisses me off that this is going to be number two this weekend because it's Mother's Day weekend. They knew what they were doing when they made this because they were going to poise it right in this weekend. I just I did not like this movie whatsoever. I, I would probably give this movie a D only because the supporting characters actually made it for me. Uh, and even like their characters were very one note and they were very uh, basic. No one was really developed that well. So I, I, you know, it's whatever. I don't even want to look into that. But the supporting characters, at least they made me like kind of grin a couple times. And Wanda Sykes did make me laugh out loud once. So I will give her that. But this is it's one of those weird scenarios, Joel, where the supporting cast did way better than the main cast. And I. I just, I personally do not find it funny. Like I said, I thought the raunchy stuff, the dark stuff didn't work all uh, well at all. It just, I would skip it. I gotta be honest with you. Even as a rental, I still wouldn't watch it. It's just, when you see what Amy Schumer did with Trainwreck going to this, it's pretty fucking embarrassing. And it's also really embarrassing for uh, Jonathan Levine as well. Because I, I, I would consider 50-50 one of the best uh, movies of the, the decade. I would actually put it that high. But when you see this, you know that there's talent in there. But uh, I think uh, 20th Century Fox basically just wanted to pump out the the fastest garbage they could. And luckily, Joel and I saw a better 20th Century Fox movie this week besides Snatch. Um, but, uh, yeah, I do not care for it. D, don't care to see it ever again. Uh, but I want to know what you guys think for sure. Joel, uh, after me telling you all this... Does it entice you to see it even more now? Yes. No. Uh, okay. I mean, there you go. I'm, I'm, I missed it. I, I actually, I mean, even with this uh, reaction, if I had not been really, really, really super busy last night, which is, of course, Thursday night, uh, I, I probably would have simply because I don't have to pay for those tickets, like I said earlier, so, earlier, so I wouldn't have felt as guilty. Um, it, it doesn't look very good. I will probably still rent it. Um, but that's in an effort to keep uh, up with a lot of live, uh, live wide releases. Uh, I will say box office wise, we're not going to get you know, super into box office results because you can't really predict anything with Thursday night estimates, but it made 675, uh, 675,000, uh, this, uh, last night. And I think that that's going to exponentially with mother's day weekend. Uh, people are going to be seeing this, and you're right; it's probably going to be number two. Um, and it did like in ter- in terms. It's interesting because with what what I found is with Thursday night preview estimates, um, what you have to look at them as is a percentage rather than a success story. And so it's interesting because while this made less money last night than King Arthur, it actually did better relative to its budget, uh, and just slightly, but nevertheless, uh, it's it's going to be number two. You're right. Uh, it doesn't look very good. Uh, I I have to wonder if possibly, you know, Amy Schumer just generally finds success writing her own material, 
that might be part of it, and maybe she doesn't uh, play well just kind of being trying to be scripted funny with somebody else's material. Uh, maybe you know there might have been some of this was that that was ad lib too, of course, but uh, nevertheless, it's it'll be interesting. I'll I'll catch it on Blu-ray, I'm sure, uh, one night, but it won't be high on my list. Um, and and but, uh, you- just just two quick things, and, and I I don't want to ever bring this movie up ever again, but. One, uh, you get to see Amy Schumer's tit. So if you guys were uh, hoping to see some uh, Amy Schumer action, that's what you get. I will not tell you the context, but that is a thing. She actually shows her tit. Uh, Second thing, I also found it kind of weird that this was a comedy when this is actually a problem um, in, like, South America and stuff and kidnappings and sexual assaults and sex slavery. It was just – I think that was the other thing that kind of irked me. It's like I'm not some like social justice warrior, but I, I am. I'm not oblivious. I'm fully well aware of like you know child slavery and child sex trafficking and stuff and kidnapping. It's just I don't know when you watch the movie. <coughs> excuse me, I sneezed because uh, Snatch was just not wanting to come out of my mouth. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it just it felt really weird to watch it. Um, knowing that this this stuff is actually real and this actually happens. So I don't know, like, Joel, would that kind of irk you if you saw a comedy, you know, that was set in South America that had kidnapping and you know that this is kind of an issue? If you saw a comedy about this, that kind of made it, like, really, like, kind of a light situation, would that kind of, would that kind of turn you off a bit? It does. And, you know, I'm sort of reminded uh, of that movie 30 Minutes or Less, Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, who was it? Uh, Aziz Ansari. Oh, Aziz Ansari. Yeah. Um, and that one was based on a real live tragic event that happened, and it was this, you know, funny comedy. Uh, and you know, when when they make fun of this stuff, it's you know, I'm I'm not particularly, as you call it, a social justice warrior either. But somebody called this movie Snatch White Privilege the movie, which you know, I I hate just throwing that label on something. But it seems fairly accurate here because they're they're making light of a horrible situation, and uh, it's really it does seem irresponsible. Um, and anyway, I'll find I'll certainly find that out more in context when I see it. But uh, all right, so our I know that you never want to talk about that again. Uh, so I have two reviews to give you guys. Uh, yeah. I saw two, <laughs> the two other wide releases of the week. Um, and the first one is King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Now, uh, this is- Joel, would you say after watching the movie that you felt you felt like the power to like go to a random rock to try to pull a sword out of? <laughs> would you say that you I were think- encouraged to do it? I felt like I suddenly turned into Charlie Hunnam. Um, oh shit! No. <laughs> Are you, you, you banging like five chicks tonight? Damn! Like you just you morphed into like this sex guy. What, what did you drink some magic potion? Because I want some. Damn! I'm, I'm gonna search for the lost city of Z now. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but no. So uh, this is from director guy Richie. I will just come out and say it. I don't have much of a history with this guy's filmography. Literally, I've seen Sherlock Holmes, and I've seen Sherlock Holmes: A Game of Shadows. And that's it. Uh, he, I, I, yeah, no, I, I also skipped the man from Uncle. This is his fourth, uh, big budget entertainment or, um, you know, blockbuster attempt, I should say, um, in a row. 
Uh, and this one is an origin story of the most unnecessary kind because we all know where King Arthur comes from. Um, and this is sort of a magical, mystical take on it. It's about uh, his upbringing. He, it, it, well, really about his heritage uh, and his versus his upbringing, if you will. Uh, he was born into royalty, but then through his parents being uh, murdered, uh, he was sort of sent away, Moses-like, to a uh, to a life of peasantry, uh, or whatever that word is. Um, and so, of course, he grows up, and he sort of gravitates toward the sword of the title, and is able to pull it out of the rock in which it is very, very sturdily uh, stuck. Nobody else can take it out because they are not worthy. Uh, he is worthy, much like Thor. In fact, I think Thor was probably largely... Uh, or at least that part of Thor's, uh, you know, being able to lift his hammer was largely um, uh, influenced by this. And uh, man, this this movie is such a weird series of contradictions of itself. Um, so first off, first off, the the story here is completely like you know everything that's going to happen. Like even if you don't know King Arthur's legend. If you have half a brain, you're going to be able to predict what happens before it happens in this movie. That's how predictable it is. So it's a and it's completely disinterested from actually telling the story in an interesting way. And the reason that that's a contradiction is because this movie is like so force forcefully edited. It's like it's rushing through all of the material. Yet at the same time, another contradiction. It's also moving at a sluggish at a sluggish pace. I know that none of this is making sense so far, listeners, but this is how the movie is. It's it's so weird. So uh, Charlie Hunnam plays King Arthur, completely dull performance, especially in light of the Lost City of Z. Uh, it's his you know cardboard his block of cardboard kind of is is back from uh, Pacific Rim, and I, I it's just not a good performance. And then. Jude Law plays his uncle, who is, of course, evil. I, I, I have no problem slightly sort of kind of spoiling that for people. People are going to know it. It's basically in the trailer. Um, and, you know, he commits to the performance. Uh, I like Jude Law. Um, he commits to the performance. The problem is that the character is completely uninteresting. There's, there's nothing going on with him other than one note, evil. And uh, it wastes Eric Vanna, who plays the father. Um, and oh, and another thing about Jude Law, he plays a character named Vortigern. Uh, so I guess if you want, if your life desire was to see a movie in which a character was named Vortigern, this is the movie for you. Um, nevertheless, it's bad, and uh, and I haven't even gotten into the main reason why. Oh so. dear God. <laughs> Main, the main reason why. Reasons. One, the script is complete, just dead air, like the entire time. It just reiterates plot points and then reiterates them again and then again and again and again until the end. Um, and it's 126 minutes long, so it does that for more than two hours. Um, but the worst, the worst thing about this movie, and I really hope that anybody who decides to see this movie on Saturday and Sunday does not see it in 3D. Okay. 
I'm not a big 3D guy in general. I think that it's pointless to wear sunglasses in a movie theater, and I think it's pointless to watch a movie where 20% of the brightness is dimmed for no reason. Uh, it doesn't give the the well. In the best cases, it sometimes gives, but in most cases, it doesn't really give the illusion of depth. Uh, however, I believe that this movie is a post-conversion process uh, 3D movie. I, I didn't do my research into that, but I'm pretty sure it is, uh, because it seems like many of much of the imagery doesn't really it's not really native 3D. So I think that they probably went in and added some some little you know CGI stuff to the shots. So here's here's the problem though. Uh, 3D darkens the image by 20%, and if it did that to this movie, it would be basically unintelligible. Um, much of the movie is cast in blue gray in a blue-gray color sheen that eventually becomes so dark that if this was in 3D, it would make Aliens vs. Predator Requiem look like it was filmed in a room with literally every light on. That's how dark it is at the end. Um, you, can t you can barely tell what's going on because of the camera work, which kind of zigs and zags through. Because Okay, so the sword can slow time. It's basically Prince of Persia. And... Um, and Prince of Persia, the visual effects in those scenes were masterful compared to this. Um, and so during the during the slow time thing, yes, Guy Ritchie employs his usual uh, the the sort of the Zack Snyder esque, uh, you know, kind of quick cut um, action with a lot of forced slow motion in the middle. Uh, uh, you know, like uh, it's slow motion, then it's really quick, then it's slow, then it's really quick. It, that that kind of thing, and um, it's just awful. And then, I mean, it, he just he plays. Um, he, he I'm sorry, he plays. He 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 has a, a a big final battle scene with the villain of the movie, um, who is, who has essentially turned into a bargain bin Sauron uh, from Lord of the Rings. Um, in visual effects and in concept, uh, because it's just it's just bad, and it's again that weird stop uh, smash cut like oh my gosh, it, it's just kind of hard to describe it without you know telling you go see the movie because I don't want you to go see the movie, um, <laughs> so don't find out. But it's it's just really bad, uh, and. I mean, you know, a couple of interesting things are the score, which is very, uh, it's by Daniel Pemberton, who has done a lot of good work in the past, but it's it's interesting because in theory the score should work. It's very uh, 300-esque. It's very uh, thrashing and and uh, loud and, and exciting, but it also, it seems like they edited to the score, uh, which is interesting to note because again it feels like it's also going at a sluggish pace through the story uh, and it's just really weird you know a couple interesting shots they shoot from the shoulders sometimes into the characters faces which gives an interesting uh, feel during a chase scene at one point um, you know a couple of the visual effects work but mostly the visual effects are bad not even flaky but bad visual effects they are plastic and rubbery uh, and they look like a PS3 cutscene, an early PS3 cutscene, um, and it's just it's it's a bad, boring, dull movie that 
is a big fall down from you know in terms of the summer from Guardians uh, last week. It's it's kind of joyless and completely generic. Uh, and I just it, this is supposed to apparently be a six film series. Warner Brothers was probably smoking when they whenever they described it. All of the employees in the entire building were. Uh, that's that's what I'm thinking is when that decision was made, um, but it's not going to happen because this movie's going to fail. And how I know that is it made 1.15 million last night, uh, which is and I did the math on this because I said that it was down to percentages. So I literally did a percentage of its of its 175 million dollar budget, and it's 0.6 percent of the budget it made back last night, which you can't really do a lot of predicting with that stuff but i mean it's probably gonna be like number four or five or something this week it's it's gonna crack the top five by virtue of being open in so many theaters but uh it's it's not gonna do well and uh anyway and i forgot to give my grade it's a d plus you know a couple interesting flourishes here and there but not enough to raise it above above that level and it's it was kind of depressing uh, so that's my that's my grade for King Arthur: Legend of the Sword is a D plus. So are, are you gonna run out to see it tonight, Chase? No. <laughs> Moving on. Listen, I because I told Joel I was gonna try to catch and whatnot, but I had had some car issues this week, and I just been I've been so swamped with you know just money and all that stuff. I was like, do I really want to spend twelve dollars on this movie? And I was like, Joel, are you gonna watch it? Yep. I ain't going to watch it. I'm good. So, uh, I listen, <laughs> I, I think Joel definitely needs to watch like earlier guy, Richie's stuff. I love snatch. Uh, that is definitely, uh, uh one of my favorites of his, uh, lock stock and two smoking barrels are, are, is really good. Uh, a lot of people do really enjoy rock and roll. I've never seen it. I enjoy Sherlock and Sherlock Holmes game of shadows. I mean, they're, they're fine. Never saw the man from uncle, but guy Richie's kind of doing this like, you're right. Like all four of these, like kind of look the same. Like they're kind of like this bleak, kind of gray, you know, looking type of film. It looks bland. It looks boring. Like it seems to be the running theme in all of his modern stuff. And I want him to go back to like that nitty gritty, to where he literally has like a minimum, uh, a, a minimal budget, and he has to work with what he's got. And I think he'll really kind of um, make a movie like a Snatched or you know his other works if he's kind of restricted with budget and whatnot. So. I'm not personally a fan of when Guy Ritchie does the bigger stuff. I like when he does the smaller stuff, but I have no fucking desire to watch this. <laughs> well, yeah, it's uh, and it's interesting. You know, I felt like it looked good from the trailers, and that's why I learned that a long time ago. With uh, I think Battle Los Angeles was kind of the first uh, really good teaser that spawned uh, basically Satan. Um, and I learned then, you know, not to put so much stock into trailers, uh, just because they're really good ads, you know, or really well edited ads most of the time. Um, and you know, I, I felt like it looked fun, but they were basically just using a lot of the quick editing style that was that was deceptive. Uh, that's that's shared by the movie, and it's uh, it's a bad one. All right, so the uh, last review of the evening that I have for you guys is The Wall. Uh, this movie is from director Doug Lyman, uh, who directed The Born Identity, uh, Edge of Tomorrow, uh, Jumper, which was kind of his poor one. Uh, Fair Game was really good. 
this one is a sniper drama set in the immediate aftermath of the Iraq War uh, in 2007. And it stars uh, primarily Aaron Taylor Johnson as the spotter for John Cena, who plays the sniper uh, on the American side. Uh, they are overseeing, they have been overseeing for 20 hours a, uh, a laid-to-waste scene at, a land, uh, at, a, at, the, uh, at the laying of a pipeline, uh, where a lot, of, a lot of dead bodies are, and they are making sure uh, that there's nobody else there. Um, and they've been doing the hours. They feel like, you know, this is really annoying. We got to leave. You know, got to be doing something else. And so, I'm gonna set this up uh, without giving too much away. So y'all, y'all are fine to to trust me when I say that I'm not gonna give much away here. But, uh, and and in fact, actually, some of what I will say may be intentional misdirection. So because there are a lot of there are a lot of uh, little sly surprises. In this narrative, as much as it might not seem like there is, because it's a very minimalist movie. But without telling you any of the context, John Cena is not in this movie for very long. Let's just say. Um, so through that, Aaron Taylor Johnson's character is forced behind a wall, which, ironically enough, uh, and then I'm not going to finish that sentence. So he's behind this wall, and. Uh, he is facing down with an Iraqi sniper, an insurgent, uh, who has gained entry into his earpiece somehow, uh, and he is taunting him and tormenting him on a psychological, kind of a philosophical level too. And so the movie is essentially about kind of what, here's how I took it. It's the whole conflict of the so-called war on terror sort of explored in microcosm because of the fundamental differences between these two people, the American spotter and the uh, Iraqi sniper. And so, of course, Aaron Taylor Johnson's character has, is, you know, carrying the movie. He, he, we see him, we never see the Iraqi sniper, we hear him, uh, and we see from his perspective a couple of times, but uh, we, never, we never see him. I will say, though, that the actor who voices him, Lyth Nakili, uh, is amazing here. It's, it's probably going to go down as one of the best voice performances of the year. Um, and it's just a really effective, minimalist, tight, tense movie uh, that utilizes its location incredibly well, much like Free Fire did recently, uh, less effectively overall as a movie. but. Nevertheless, in terms of that, it, it really does control itself quite well. It's a well-contained story, uh, and it's but it gets into its characters' heads really well. Um, again, you know, I've I've actually intentionally misdirected you in a couple of parts here, listeners. I know that I'm not supposed to lie. This is not me intentionally lying. It's just you know kind of uh, preserving some of the surprises in store because there are some some minor surprises in the story. And, uh, and I can't really go further than what is literally 25, 30-minute mark uh, of this movie. There's, there's still an hour to go after that, and it's quite effective. Uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson is really solid here. He's having to you know, support the movie on his shoulders. We're the person he sees for, for essentially you know, 60 minutes probably of, of screen time in this 88-minute movie. 81-minute, uh, sorry, 81-minute movie. 
and uh, and it's just it's a really good performance. Uh, but John Cena, uh, at some point in the movie, gets a gets a moment of such grueling physical performance that, like, it's on the level, and Chase is going to be like, what? Uh, it's on the level of Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant uh, when he is crawling away from his grave. Remember that scene? And, uh, yeah, this one is just as good. It's just as grueling because of the slow motion of the movement. Uh, not the slow motion of the camera, the slow motion of the character's movement. Um, and I'm not going to reveal any more about what I mean there, but uh, it's a great performance from him, but it's very, it's very deceptive because, again, he's not, he's not on camera for a lot of this. Uh, so, and then I, I've already covered Nikili. He's, he's incredible. So really three great, uh, pretty great performances here. Uh, it's a very bitter, dark movie. Uh, that is that does not compromise. This is this is not a movie, let's say, with the happiest of endings. Um, but it is a good film, and it is very tight, tense. It has a lot to say about this conflict uh, through very small, sort of small measures. Um, so, you know, not great cinema, but it is intense, and I'm going to be giving The Wall a B. I do not have any sort of box office information about it uh, I the update that I read didn't include it it's not a very wide release this week uh, so it's it probably isn't gonna do well but I can't imagine it costs very much so um, and I don't have that information either so anyway but I'm, I'm hoping it does find some success you know on its own terms uh, whether or not it's in the top five I I, I can't imagine it would be but uh, whatever the case I'm, I'm really hoping people uh, make their way out to see this. I know that Chase is having money issues. I, I would hope that he would at least rent this uh, down the line because it, uh, it is a good movie. So I'm giving The Wall a solid B. Yeah, I, I've been wanting to see this movie for quite a while, and I actually saw you know the, the first one to come out this year, the, you know another kind of war film based on one person in one location, which was mine with Army Hammer, and so that was a really good one. So I was excited to see The Wall. Just couldn't get around to it, but yeah, I definitely want to rent it down the line because I love me some Aaron Taylor Johnson for sure. Uh, after seeing Nocturnal Animals from last year, uh, I just cannot look at him the same, but uh, that just, you know, that's how effective he was in his <laughs> performance. So um, he, he's a very good actor for sure. And I, I said this once and I'll say it again. John Cena will be the next Dwayne Johnson. It, it's going to happen. Get ready for it. Uh, he's going to have his first lead uh, performance at the end of the year with uh, an animated voice <clears throat> as the animated uh, Ferdinand uh, Bull. So, I mean, he, he's coming. He's coming. It's going to be him and Dwayne, uh, both at the top. Uh, and I think, uh, like you said, this is kind of like one of the smaller films to kind of let him sink his teeth into something like this so we can kind of see where he's going to take his career. But, yeah, The Wall for sure, I'm excited for it. And the fact that you gave it a B uh, is really, um, really promising. So, yeah, I will definitely rent it. And it sounds like you guys should check it out too. Oh, yeah. And I will say, like, I, I, I made a lot of the, the physical uh, moment of, of – John Cena's performance, but otherwise, you know, other other than that part, he's still he's he's also really good elsewhere, and I didn't want to uh, you know under undersell that. Uh, he he gives a really good performance when he is on screen, uh, and 
outside of that that physical moment. Uh, but yeah, uh, all right, that's basically it, guys. Uh, we didn't see the same movies. We're also recording this on Friday, uh, so there are no box office results until tomorrow, and those are just the Friday estimates. So uh, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, Chase, where can we find you on the internet? You guys can find me at uh, Twitter at Real Chase Lee. Subscribe to the YouTube channel to get uh, you know video content if you want to see my face, my lovely greasy uh, acne-filled face. I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, all that uh, is is down below. So if you guys want to follow me uh, elsewhere, uh, you can do that. All right, and then you can follow me at uh, Copeland underscore Joel. Uh, and then I'm on my own website, joelonfilm.com. I write pretty consistently there. Uh, I'm also, you know, Chase and I both are reviewers for Dallas Movie Screenings, which is the official, uh, this is the official podcast of. Um, and let's see, I also occasionally write for podcasting them, softly.com. Uh, go check out that website, guys. It's awesome. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, that's kind of my internet signature i'm on letterboxd as well if you if you search my name uh everybody should join that site because it's a really great movie logging website and social network experience um so yeah that's pretty much the show guys i think that next week uh like like uh chase said i'm gonna be alone although i'm not really gonna be alone i'm gonna be alone in terms of co-hosts um because chase is going out of town uh he's he's leaving me for the weekend for his girlfriend uh, <laughs> I, I, I know it's it's one of those weird things where like I have to cheat on Joel just for a weekend and then they don't come back and then we're we're, we're going to uh, uh, hold hands and skip down the beach together. But until then, I have to Joel. You know that I have to balance between both of you. I mean, so I, I have to go see her for a little bit and then I can come see you. <laughs> Absolutely, I'll be reviewing uh, Alien Covenant. We'll have Graham on again. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. We've we've locked that down. It'll be on Sunday as usual. So Sunday the 21st, um, and I think then uh, Chase will be back the following week. We'll be talking uh, Baywatch and Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. So uh, I'm looking I'm looking forward to talking Alien Covenant with Graham. Chase and I have already uh, talked to each other about it. It's really good. So anyway, uh, guys, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for being such, such devoted listeners uh, to our little podcast here. And uh, y'all have a great week. Peace. Yeah, and just a real quick before I, I play the uh, the outro music, uh, since I'm not going to be on next week's show, and if you are curious about my Alien Covenant thoughts, I did already post my YouTube uh, review. So if, if you just go down below, click the YouTube channel, it will take you right to there. That is my last review I did. So go check that out if you want to know my thoughts. Uh, but Joel is right. Get ready for a good discussion because it's a damn good movie. So let's play the outro music. See you guys. Uh, I'll see you guys in two weeks, and Joel will see you next week. Bye bye. <laughs>